and welcome to this week's episode of Start Somewhere for Marie Claire with me, the host, Sarah Vaughan. And this week, I am so thrilled to be joined by the extraordinary uh, and amazing Shana Swan, who is a professor of environmental medicine and public health at Mount Sinai, New York, and also is the author of an extraordinary book, called Countdown and How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts. And the title is a bit longer than that, but <laughs> Shana will talk you through it. But, it, you know, this is groundbreaking work. So I am so excited to welcome you. Hello, Shana, how are you today? Hi, Sarah. So great to see you. So great to be here. And I'm really glad to have the opportunity to tell you and your listeners about the book and its message and maybe help people make some change that'll make a difference to their lives. Oh, I, I, undoubtedly you will. So as you know, Shana, I always ask my guests, how did you get started? So yeah, how was a little girl? Were you always interested in science? Was Did you have a parent who was a scientist? So actually, no. I mean, surprisingly, um, I grew up in New York and I was an actress. I was a child actress. No. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and that was my passion. And I followed that, pursued that into my late teenage years. But after a while, um, true confessions, I'm five feet tall. And that's not a great height for an actress. Um, you're not the typical ingenue. And so I could play only very limited parts. I could play kids, but after a while I could see that would get boring and maybe mm -hmm. I wouldn't fit very well. So I decided to do something else and I'd always been good with numbers. And so I switched from high school of performing arts to high school of science, Bronx high school of science and became a scientist. So that's yeah. a sort of very unusual <laughs> path into that. And then... Um, that's amazing. So you must be kind of some left and right brain genius or something. <laughs> oh, I'm not a genius, not at all. But, but, but I do have a lot of interests. And, um, and I'm so lucky to be, you know, have been able to pursue them. You know, I've had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. So... Um, after um, high school, I did um, get a degree in mathematics, um, and, um, and then I um, just kind of drifted uh, into statistics, but it was also the mathematical end of statistics, mm -hmm. theoretical. And then I needed a job, you know, and, and so I got this job in applied statistics and gradually got sucked into um, medical applications of statistics and got more and more interested in. And the first thing I did was study oral contraceptives and what they did to women's bodies. And there you see, I'm right here in a way because it's chemicals, yeah. it's health, it's reproduction, right? And so I was already starting on this career in some sense. Wow, I'm still intrigued about the child. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like not expecting that. That's amazing. Wow, what a talented woman you are. How did you find your kind of purpose? Was was it you know a gradual process really for you, or, or was there one morning that you actually went, you know, like I this is what I need to do? Well, I've always been social, very socially conscious, and wanting to do good, you know, and that's my way I was raised. And so I joined, I went into public health because I thought, well, there's an area where I could help 
and use my training in a way that would help people. And so I actually joined the California Department of Health. I was in California at the time. While I was there, um, I had the opportunity to um, to learn about an area of science which I didn't know about at all, and that is the idea that chemicals that are man-made could act like hormones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, this was very kind of revolutionary at the time. This was around 2000. And, and so back then, people didn't really know what these things were. We call them, now I call them hormone hijackers because that's what they do. And, and their technical name is endocrine disrupting chemicals because they disrupt the endocrine system, which is the hormone system, right? But by any other name, they're, um, you know, they're acting on our body's hormones and they're doing it very sneakily. They're doing it against our knowledge. You know, we don't know about it. We don't permit it, but they come in anyway. Um, This is a little different from other kinds of um, things that influence our hormones that we know about, like the pill. Mm -hmm. I had started studying the pill. Okay, well, the pill it definitely changes our hormones. That's why we take it, don't we? You know, um, and and so there's nothing sneaky about it at all. We're inviting it in. We're mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to take this pill, you know, and and it's going to change my body in very profound ways. And I want that because I don't want to get pregnant. Okay, so so you know, things that disrupt the hormone system can be good and bad. So fast forward, I'm flying to Japan. I'm talking to a colleague, long trip. We're having a long conversation, right? And he says, <laughs> he says, Shauna, you should study phthalates. Okay. Now, when I say that word to you, well, you probably read my book, so you know what they are. But many people would go like I did. I said, phthalates? What are phthalates? Yeah. Because I didn't know at all at that time. And he, so he started to tell me about them. And he said, well, they're in our products that we have around us every day, they make plastic soft and flexible like a rubber ducky or mm-hmm. a soft tube. And um, it turns out that they're pretty active in terms of, you know, they can do a lot of damage to our hormones. Yes. So, and he told me they were in everybody because he was a chemist and he was busy measuring them in the sample of U.S you know, population and showed that they were in everybody. So I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. So you have these chemicals. They're not like the pill because we're not inviting them in. They just coming in anyway, uninvited. And they're also messing up our hormones. So maybe in ways that we don't want. Yeah. So I started, he said, yes. And here's one more thing. He said, in animals, they cause a lot of problems to newborns when the mother is exposed. Okay. So that was, I, I hadn't actually looked at that science at the time. I hadn't looked at things that the mother was exposed to in pregnancy to see what it did to the offspring. And so I thought, well, this is interesting. I always like new puzzles. That's something else about me. I always like puzzles. I like to figure things out. So I thought, well, how could that work? How, how would that happen? And so it turned out there was a quite a large body of, you know, science that showed that if you take 
chemicals that are in these soft water bottles or in these tubing or rubber duckies called phthalates. You give that to a pregnant rat, you give the mother these phthalates and you do it by putting it in her food, by the way, it doesn't, doesn't hurt her or anything. But then when she has her offspring, you look at them and you look at them and what they were particularly looking for is things that could indicate changes in their reproductive health. So what they showed was that phthalates were reproductive toxins and they were so clearly dangerous that they called what happened to these newborn rats, they called it the phthalate syndrome. So what did it do? Yes, what, what, what awful things did what, it do? What awful thing did it do? Well, first of all, interestingly, it didn't touch the females. It did nothing to the females. I didn't, wow. Nothing wow. to the females. There are other chemicals, by the way, that do, but these phthalates don't seem to alter female hormones. But what they do to males is they mess with testosterone. Now, you don't want anybody messing with your unborn son's testosterone, let me tell you. Right. Right? He really needs it. He needs all that he can get at the right time. And why is that? Because that's what makes him a typical male. So if we back up to this pregnant rat, and true of people too, by the way, I later showed. So you have this pregnant rat, you give the mother these phthalates, and it turns out it lowers testosterone. And it's rapidly developing. We know that everybody knows how rapidly cells develop when in utero, particularly early in pregnancy, right? Everything is developing. And to start out with, if you think about the genital tract, which most people don't think about too often, but I do because it's my work. Uh, you think about the genital tract. Initially, it's like not different in males and females. That's kind of surprising to people. I, I, actually, I, didn't know, I have to say I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the same. And then it differentiates. And the male, genetic male, genetic female, go different ways. Mm -hmm. So what goes on to be the ovary in the female is the testicles in the mm -hmm. male and so on and so forth, right? So how does that happen? It happens because there's a genetically coded signal, which is that when this testosterone is released by the testes, it starts making these changes. Okay, so if everything is fine, there's a normal amount of testosterone, the male will be fully masculinized and he'll get his, turns out, larger organs. And we can talk about what that is in a little bit. And the female remains smaller and everything is good to go. But if there's not enough testosterone or maybe the testosterone is delayed. And so the, the bottom line is that these rats are, they're not feminized exactly. They don't have ovaries. Mm -hmm. It's just that their progression is not complete. They're not completely masculinized. They don't have as large genitals. Their t 
testicles might not be descended. They might have other malformations of their. So that's what happens in the phthalate syndrome. And that's what my friend John told me on the plane to Japan back in 2000. Okay. Wow. I mean, that, I, I, I mean, that's just staggering, isn't it? And I mean, that was in 2000, you know, that this was already happening. And, and, and I guess, you know, fast forward now, I mean, <laughs> there are, there's a lot of plastic. I mean, there's, you know, this is, what, what are you seeing? It wasn't just happening in 2000. It was recognized in 2000. But you understand that these things have been in the environment. Let's just talk about, for a minute, the chemicals. They're made from petroleum byproducts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And think about the petroleum industry, how that has grown. So the end of the Second World War, you were not here and your listeners were mostly not here. But um, at that time, you could read about that. People were absolutely enamored of science. Of course, science had ended the war, it had brought penicillin, it had brought all these wonderful advances and gave us an option to, to, you know, really live a better life. And there was this whole phrase, better living through chemistry. And people were just like, so anything that the chemical industry would put out, people just lapped it up and they love this stuff. And the growth of plastics and petroleum byproducts, you know, were just exponential. And, and all of that time, these chemicals were slowly getting into our system, getting into our environment and starting to impact our, you know, we didn't see changes for a long time. I think the first changes that were recognized was probably when um, uh, Silent Spring was published, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, people started thinking, well, not maybe not all 100% good. Some of these pesticides might be harming us. Maybe, you know, they're harming, make, they're dirtying our landscape. And so people started to get aware and then gradually like, I don't want, but it's, it's an old story. And, and it's funny, it's taken us so long. So anyway, that recognition of the phthalate syndrome and the dangers of phthalates and the you know, the fact that they were in everybody was a, a, a story of, of about starting in 2000. So a long time, 50 years after they started to be produced. And I, I mean, I first started to notice this when I, I started getting very, I've always never been a fan of plastic. And, and, and as some of my, uh, the listeners know, I, I you know, I, I, I started, uh, you know, a campaign for a plastic free aisle <laughs> with an amazing organization, Great Plastic Planet. And, and that's where I started to kind of unearth these horrifying, you know, stories and statistics that you were talking about. I mean, and also it was it like, um, you know, alligators in Florida changing sex, um, you know, and, and, and also I became aware, if you like, that I had quite a lot of friends who were trying to get pregnant, who were seriously struggling and, and, and were having you know, their gynecologists and things actually starting to tell them not to, to eat out of plastic or drink out of plastic bottles. So, I mean, tell us kind of like what, what, what's happening now? <laughs> like this what's happening now? Um, so what's happening now is kind of a, a awakening, if you will, to the magnitude of the problem. And what happened in 2017, which is now you know, four years ago, I and colleagues published this study 
that said, hey guys, you know, sperm counts are really in trouble. What we found was that in, in Western countries that over the 40 years that had preceded our study, sperm counts had dropped more than 50%. Just repeat that very slowly for our listeners. Sperm counts had dropped by... Or in 40 years, okay, sperm, from those years were, by the way, 1973 to 2011. Sperm counts had dropped by more than 50%, cut in half, okay? shocking, right? Shocking. Now, I will tell you that some critics might say and have said... It doesn't matter. There's so many sperm. We don't need them all. Yes, there is um, an abundance of sperm. However, however, and we know this from lots of people who have trouble having children now. Yes. Um, when that sperm count gets not to zero, way more than zero, when it's even below 40 million per milliliter, which is a lot of sperm, it starts to get harder to conceive. Mm -hmm. And rapidly as that drops below 40, it goes to zero. Wow. Now, whether it's 50 or 60 or 70 or 100, doesn't matter. There's a lot of, you know, overkill here if you want. We don't need all those sperm, but we do need more than 40 million per milliliter. And the number that we showed in our study in 2011 was 47 million per milliliter. That's really close to 40. Yes, it is. And, it, and because it's a distribution, it says that a large percent of men in Western countries are now in trouble. They are now subfertile or worse. And that's why we see this big increase in assisted reproductive technologies and, you know, all these alternatives that people have to use and all the heartache that goes along with that. So, so Sarah, you might ask, or your listeners might ask, well, this woman is just jumping around. She talked about phthalates and now she's talking about sperm counts. What's the relationship? Mm-hmm. Yes, right? the relationship. Right? <laughs> so these rats with the phthalate syndrome, they actually didn't have good reproductive function. Yes. And I decided to find out what was happening with humans. Well, it turns out, and we've done this in two very large studies and several colleagues have done it in other studies, and we saw exactly the same thing. Wow. So we saw that the when the mother had more phthalates, particularly those that lowered testosterone, which they do in humans like in rats, mm-hmm. then these newborn boys, not rats anymore, boys had smaller genitals. So they had smaller penises, smaller scrotum, less descended testicles, and the whole area was smaller. And you summarize that in the United States with a measure that's sometimes called the taint. Mm-hmm. You have that word? Yeah. No, 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 we don't. Taint, it's, it's, there's, we have something called the Urban Dictionary. If you go to the Urban Dictionary, you can look it up. T-A-I-N-T. It's a street term. Sometimes it's called the gooch. Sometimes it's called the grundle. 
Technically, it's called the anogenital distance. So just like it says, it's the distance from the anus to the genitals, okay? And the reason that's important is because that kind of tells you how much testosterone that little boy saw in utero. So when that measure is long, he's a healthy, you know, had fully androgenized, full mm -hmm. share of testosterone. If that distance is short, he didn't get his full share. Wow. Because girls, it's very short. In girls, it's 50 to 100% shorter than in boys. Goodness. So he has a much more female-like distance and it turns out that distance is really important because then if you go to an adult man, which we did, and we said, can we measure? And they let us. Um, and would you give us a semen sample? And they did. Then we could show that the longer this distance, the higher the sperm count. So it's a delayed effect. The damage happened first in utero, but it plays out in adulthood. There's many, many examples of that in science where you have a bad impact early on and later you see the effect. And, and so now you can say, ah, this woman did connect sperm count to the phthalates. Yes, the mother having these phthalates in her body is related to the sons having low sperm count. Now, People can say, well, too bad, it's done, nothing to do about it. It's true. The exposure that happened in utero, those damages are lifetime damages. That will never improve. However, there's other ways to damage your sperm and your eggs and your health as an adult or as a child or as a teenager that you can reverse. So how do you start, Summer? How do you avoid the later damage happening, Shannon? So... Adult exposure to these chemicals that can affect reproduction matter because you can turn those around. So don't say, well, I was messed up on utero and so I, I'll just mess up my life as an adult. No, do the best you can as an adult. So the things that affect sperm count, and by the way, it's not just men that are affected, but both men and women, um, first of all, can worry about what we call lifestyle. I'll just say a word or two about that because that's really not what my book is about or what you're particularly interested in probably. But there are things like smoking, I mentioned, binge drinking, stress, obesity, certain things in your diet. And, and if you were, you know, if we we're going to talk about this in sort of a, if I was going to counsel somebody about how to clean up their life, I would go into more detail about all of these things because they matter. We know that. We know, for example, that you can improve, um, you know, lower the levels of chemicals in your body by eating organic. You can, you know, change the foods that you eat. You can, you know, there's lots of things you can do. But basically, it's that part of it's easy because by and large, whatever's going to help your heart is going to help your reproductive system, yeah. right? So they're, they're kind of the same recommendations. However, the chemicals are somewhat different because there you're talking about a specific hormonal system. You know, you want to decrease your 
things that lower androgen, you want to decrease things that increase estrogen, right? Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is, and this is a weird thing to say, but you want to put on a pair of glasses that allows you to look at everything that comes into your life. Mm -hmm. You see, we're not aware that we're bombarded with these things all the time. I just recently noticed a whole bunch of things in my kitchen that I should have gotten rid of. Me, I work in this, you know? So, I mean, you know, you're not going to get it all the first time. But but if you just keep an eye open, you can start thinking about. So in your kitchen, you want to get rid of plastic to the extent possible. Some are worse than others. I don't know if you know about this recycling code on the bottom of bottles, but you want to avoid um, three, six, and seven particularly. Okay. So avoid three, six, and seven on your bottles. Yeah. Yeah. On those recycling codes. You don't want to microwave in plastic. You don't want to boil food in a plastic bag. You want to keep heat. You don't want heat and your food and plastic to come together because the chemicals leave the plastic when it's warm, go into the food, and then they go into your body. So, so just don't heat, don't keep, you know, keep heat away from, <laughs> from plastic and food. Um, then to the extent that you can, and this is hard because not everyone has access to these things, you want to eat unprocessed food. Mm-hmm. So that means food that hasn't been made into sauce and and soup and and so on and so forth because the processing tends to send the food through things that contain plastic like plastic tubing and plastic you you understand so in the processing it can pick up these these chemicals um you want to avoid food that's in tin cans because these as well tin cans um not in it's probably different in different countries. Um, in the United States, most tin cans are lined with bisphenol A, BPA. And um, that's not a good thing to have in your food. <laughs> you, um, so that's, so food, you know, more careful food selection. It's a little tricky when you're going to eat fast food, you're going to eat out because you don't know what people put into their products. So, I mean, just keep in mind that you can have some control in your own kitchen. Not great control when you're in somebody else's. Um, then let's talk about fragrance for a minute. So, and personal care products. Anything that has a fragrance in it is going to have phthalates. And those um, plug-in air fresheners, you know, that you think is going to clean up your air, they're going to load your air with phthalates and that's true if you hang a little you know pine tree in your car or anything that's going to i mean basically you want to use unfragranced products because fragrance is has lots of phthalates in it okay and then as far as personal care products otherwise it's tricky it's tricky but in countdown we have two chapters on recommendations and we also have resources which is websites that you can look up you know they can put a product in there and and see how it's rated so so that's kind of useful one of those is environmental working group which i really really like um and then a whole different class of products just to mention that is um 
the chemicals that are, are in barriers. So a barrier for a frying pan is nonstick, right? Yeah. That's right. Teflon. That's not something you really want your food in contact with. Um, sorry about that, but you could use an iron frying pan, which mm -hmm. is great and, and safe and, um, you know, put a little oil in it and you're, you're good to go. Um, you want to avoid coatings on your clothing, like um, of water repellent. Um, they, this class of chemicals is called PFAS, the perfluorinated compounds. Mm -hmm. And um, they're, there's more and more research on them now and they're, they're not good for reproductive health. Um, so try to avoid water repellent products and then paper that's coated to prevent oil leakage like pizza boxes and other paper also has these. So, so if you think about the products you handle, are there coatings in them? Are there things, because any coating is going to be a plastic and it's probably a plastic you don't want to be close to you. Such a minefield, isn't it? I mean, like, like really like a huge awareness about. about yeah, that's right. I'm saying you have to put on another pair of glasses. There's more, there's flame retardants in your clothes and your kids' clothing and your furniture and your upholstery, um, in your wall coverings and your floor coverings. There's actually few places in your home where you would not find these products, unfortunately. But um, we can't, you know, as my friend Stacy says, my co-author, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm -hmm. Don't drive yourself crazy, do the best you can you're not going to be experiencing the worst exposure unless you're pregnant, then I would be super careful. Or unless a guy is planning on conceiving a pregnancy, he should be super careful. But other than that, um, be careful <laughs> as opposed to super careful. Yeah. And I, I mean, what I find extraordinary is, you know, I think most people know that smoking, you know, when pregnant is, is a very bad idea because there has been so many public health campaigns all over the world for this. But if this is not true of phthalates. I mean, this is only just becoming kind of known. I mean, <laughs> you know, are we going to have a health warning? I mean, <laughs> you know. Well, um, actually, California is has warnings about several of these products and some um you know, some places do. Uh, and um, I think more and more will will become aware of this. And Shana, I mean, you know, I have to ask this question. If we, if we carry on as we are, I mean, when are we going to hit the point at which <laughs> fertility is, is and, and, and reproduction is pretty much zero? So what's happening, and this is true of, of biological trends, they always have an upper and a lower limit. If you think about people's height, people have been getting taller, but they're not going to get 20 feet tall, are they? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? no. So I don't know what the upper limit is for height, but some, at some point, the growth is going to slow down. And the same thing has got to happen with sperm count and fertility. That has to start tapering off because it can't go just mathematically to zero. Did you see what I'm saying? Yeah. However, when we get lower and lower, which we seem to be doing, um, 
it gets harder and harder to reproduce. And so what that means is that we're going to have to use other means. We're going to have to use assisted reproduction of various kinds. And more and more um, people are banking their sperm, they're banking their eggs. By the way, that's not free and not everybody can afford it. And so there's a big um, social equity question here. You know, um, I just want to say one word about it because it kind of gets forgotten. The poor people, disadvantaged people have higher exposures of the kinds that are harmful that I've talked about. That's because they have are surrounded by cheaper products and, and, and so on and so forth. And <clears throat> they are also more severely impacted because they have problems, health problems that make them more susceptible. And they can't buy their way out of it. They can't maybe afford to have their sperm banked or their egg frozen or their, you know, assisted reproduction, or they can't afford to buy organic food or they can't, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's this whole problem does not impact everyone in the world equally. And the people that can least afford it in a way are most heavily impacted. You know, it's so important that you tell people this this story. And, and you know, for me, you know, it's, it was about, you know, you can't have healthy people living on an unhealthy planet and all the stuff that we're putting in the oceans or eating off is really affecting us too. You know, we, we, we are nature, you know, as humans, we are. That's exactly right. Shana, thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I'm just like learning so much. I mean, this work is so important. So thank you so much for doing it because we, we really do need to be better custodians of, of, of you know, the planet and, and guardians of ourselves. And please, can you just um, tell, you know, if people want to find out more, because you just um, let them know. Yeah, sure. So you can go to shanaswan.com. So S-H-A-N-N-A. S-W-N, one word, dot com. That's my website. You can go to info at shanaswan.com and send an email. Um, and you can buy Countdown and um, learn a lot more. Definitely. So thank you, Sarah, so much. It was oh, my pleasure. And definitely, this is a book everyone has to read and, 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 and give away. And, and, you know, I think, you know, for, for, for I would say that, you know, for the friends of mine that, you know, have actually embarked on a kind of regime where they've tossed all the plastic out and been, you know, very careful has, 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 has been, uh, you know, had yielded some amazing results. So you know, this stuff really works and is, is much needed. So buy a copy for yourself and pass one on and, 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 and really, you know, we need to, to, to inform and, and wake everybody up with, with, with otherwise we're kind of sleepwalking into a crisis. But Shana, thank you so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.